Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 144 Unstable Lie. I've chosen this topic this week because of conversation I had with some specialty trainees, some junior colleagues this week. We were discussing what to do with a woman whose baby was an unstable lie. And this is something that crops up both as when a baby is unstable or when a baby is transverse. First of all, let's think about what I mean by unstable. The majority of babies will turn to head down position by 37 weeks of pregnancy. Three or 4% of babies will end up in a breech presentation, a breech bottom down position, which I talked about in episode 31, bottom down A small number of babies will be transverse, that is lying horizontally across the womb, a transverse lie, or what's called an unstable lie. That is, the baby is able to turn any which way and over the course of a few hours, maybe head down one minute, bottom down the next minute, transverse, horizontally, a few minutes later, from hour to hour, minute to minute, day to day, the baby may change its position. This sort of situation is a bit more common when there's extra water, polyhydramnius, around the baby, or the woman has had several babies in the past, a Paris woman. And that's because the tone, the tension within the muscles of the womb will be a bit laxer if the womb has been distended with pregnancies several pregnancies in the past. Some different presentations can be also related to the shape of the womb, whether the woman has a slightly abnormal shaped womb because it's developed in that way, or whether she may have fibroids or something that's distorting the shape of the womb. But for the purpose of today's episode, I'm talking about unstable lie with no predisposing factors, no extra fluid, no abnormal shape, just a baby that is kind of all over the place. And the reason unstable lie was cause for discussion with some of my junior colleagues this week was we were discussing what we should be doing. Now, I feel in this day and age, we're very impatient. At 37 weeks, if the baby's unstable, and hasn't settled down into a head down position, we start to stress, we start to worry. 
And that's in part because of the risk of cord prolapse. When the waters break, if the baby's head is nicely engaged and in position, it's almost like the suction on a bath plug. If you hold the bath plug immediately over the outlet to the bath, as the water pours out, it pulls the plug in and the plug closes and the water can no longer leave. So if you imagine the baby's head is a little bit like that, if the waters go and the baby's head is there, it kind of plugs the gap. We don't have to worry about the umbilical cord coming down, going through the cervix, the neck of the womb, and causing a cord prolapse. The baby's head is in the way. It's plugging that gap. Everything is safe. With an unstable lie, if you haven't got a presenting part, whether that be a head or a bottom, coming down into the woman's pelvis, if she breaks her waters, there's nothing to stop the umbilical cord floating out or being swooshed out through an open cervix, if the cervix happens to be open, that is, and causing a cord prolapse. And therefore, for that reason, to avoid cord prolapse, a woman with an unstable lie in the later stages of pregnancy will often be admitted to hospital. Now, the timing of when you admit the woman is something we need to think about. And one of the reasons that we were having this debate is we were discussing if a woman has an unstable lie at 37 weeks, i.e. when the baby is considered full term, should she or should she not be admitted to hospital? In my mind, the answer was no. And my junior colleagues pointed out that actually the RCOG Green Top Guideline on umbilical cord prolapse suggests that actually the woman should be offered admission to hospital from 37 weeks. Therefore, I thought this week I'd explore this just a little bit more because the rationale for me is she's very unlikely to go into labour at 37 weeks and the more we wait, the more likely it is that this baby's head is going to plop down into the pelvis where it's supposed to be. And that if she's in hospital, not only are we stressing her out, making her feel that this imminent, terrible event might happen to her at any moment. But the other thing we can't help doing as hospital medics is meddling. The more the woman sits on the ward and the more we talk about her at handover, this woman's in with an unstable lie, the more we might meddle. And that meddling might be doing a caesarean, but that meddling might also be doing what's called a stabilising ARM. That is, if the baby becomes head down, the head is at the pelvic brim, we might think we can stabilise that baby by breaking the waters and bringing the head down into the pelvis. And we might be tempted to do that to avoid the possibility of the woman having a caesarean. Well, that all sounds very reasonable. Except... Actually, if you look at that RCOG green top guidance on umbilical cord prolapse, one of the factors that causes a cord prolapse is 
breaking the waters when the presenting part isn't in the pelvis. So it stands to reason if we try and do a stabilising ARM, breaking the waters, artificial rupture of membranes, to bring the baby's head down into the pelvis of a baby that has been unstable and is moving all over the place, we might break the waters and cause a cord prolapse or we might break the waters and actually the baby shifts off into a totally different position. When I book a cesarean birth, the right time to do a cesarean in terms of the baby's safety is 39 weeks or beyond 39 weeks. And when women ask me about whether this is okay, what are the chances of them going into labour before that date, I explain to them 90% of pregnancies, the woman will not go into labour before 39 weeks. So the timing is safe for the baby and safe for the woman because it's most likely that she's going to reach her planned caesarean date. Yes, it's true, 10% of women won't. But if I extrapolate that back to 37 weeks, if I'm saying 90% of women will not go into labour at 39 weeks, why on earth would I want a woman on the ward from 37 weeks with an unstable lie? She's going to get fed up. She may have existing children at home. I just said it's more common for Paris women who've got existing children. She's going to be separated from her kids. She's going to be in hospital and she's going to be worrying. And every day the doctors and midwives are going to be telling her, no, you need to stay in because of this risk, this chance of cord prolapse. And in the end, she's going to get so fed up and so scared that she's going to ask for a cesarean birth so that she can put it to an end, know her baby is safe, know all is well and go home. So to me, If we admit a woman from 37 weeks, yes, we may be doing the super, super, super overcautious safe thing to do, but we may then do harm by doing a caesarean too early or doing a stabilising ARM, artificial rupture of membranes, too early and causing a complication. So as with many episodes of my podcast, I thought I'd have a quick look at the evidence Let's turn to the RCOG Green Top Guideline and take a look. Well, it does indeed say that we should be admitting people from 37 weeks. But if you look at the evidence grade, it's evidence grade D. Evidence level D says women with a transverse, oblique or unstable lie Elective admission to hospital after 37 plus zero weeks of gestation should be discussed and women in the community should be advised to present urgently if there are signs of labour or suspicion of membrane rupture. If you look at D in the key, which I did discuss in my episode 15 on guidance, the grade of recommendations for evidence D is evidence level three or four. Classification of evidence levels. Three is non-analytical studies, e.g. case reports or case series. And four, expert opinion. It may also include extrapolated evidence from studies rated rated as two plus, which is well-conducted case control or cohort studies. 
with a low risk of confounding bias and a moderate probability that the relationship is causal. So we're admitting women from 37 weeks on case study reports, expert opinion and possibly a little bit of better evidence but extrapolated. Not great. Maybe I'm old-fashioned but in my mind if I've got a woman with an unstable lie I don't want her in hospital until at least 39 weeks and most of the time in hospital I don't want to be doing anything Yes, we will palpate, that's feel the presentation, feel the lie of the baby through her tummy every day. And we may these days, because we have easy access to scans, scan her most days. And if the baby settles down for two or three days to head down, then either we can let her go home and then she can just wait for labour normally. Or if she's overdue by that point she's 40 plus or 41 weeks, then we may choose to induce. Or if we get to 41 weeks, that is when we might choose to do the stabilising, breaking the waters. And we would usually do that having already got some contractions going. So what this is one of the few times in which I've started Syntocinon so synthetic oxytocin, before we break the waters. And that's because we need a few contractions to be able to safely break the waters and try and bring the baby's head down. And yes, there is a risk of cord prolapse and sometimes we would do this in the operating theatre for that reason. Or we'd do it when we knew the operating theatre was empty and we would counsel the woman about it beforehand. But for the woman... The idea of a small chance of a cord prolapse at that stage and a caesarean versus the certainty of a caesarean earlier on was fine because the chances are she might be able to have a vaginal birth, which is what usually she wanted. So that would be my perhaps old-fashioned view. The woman might sit in hospital for a few weeks Most of the time, if we were patient, it would sort itself out and we could let her go home. Or if she wanted to have an induction, have an induction, either with the head now in the pelvis or with the stabilising breaking of the waters. But certainly no need to do anything before about 41 weeks. And yes, it's painful spending two or three weeks in hospital. It really is. So I can understand the rationale for thinking I'm 39 weeks, it's not settled down, I'm stressed, staff are worrying me, I'm now worried about this chance of cord prolapse and I want to go home, I'll have a caesarean. And with women having caesareans for all manner of things, including choice, it's not surprising that we see that that is where this will end up if we admit a woman at 37 weeks. Coming back to the evidence, I thought I'd explore a little bit more and I found a couple of quite interesting papers. So I found one, which is a poster that was presented at the British Maternal and Fetal Medicine Society. And they looked at current practice 
of management of transverse and unstable lie at term. At St Thomas's Hospital between 2009 and 2012. They looked at 198 cases of unstable or transverse lie and 58% were admitted before 38 weeks with the average length of admission being seven days. Within their nearly 200 cases they had no cases of cord prolapse and no need for an immediate caesarean from the antenatal ward. However, 73% of these women did have a caesarean at a mean gestation, so a mean time of pregnancy, at 39 weeks and one day, so much earlier than I was just advocating. Although, interestingly, it said almost half of these, 41%, had a head down presentation at the time of the planned caesarean. So they concluded that the diagnosis of an unstable lie led to a prolonged inpatient stay and a higher caesarean rate. And then they looked at their study and evidence from other available studies and it suggested that one might be able to delay admission until at least 38 weeks and await spontaneous version that is spontaneously turning into a good position and that future research should focus on the safety of outpatient management. There we go. Amazing. So that was quite interesting. And then I found another paper by the same team a little bit later, which looks like it was the same team looking at some of the same data. And what they said was, again, looking at just over 200 cases 2009 to 2012. So the rate of unstable or non-longitudinal transverse lie was about 0.78% of deliveries. 77% of women were Paris, so had had a previous baby. And again, the average length of admission was around seven days. And they were worrying about prolonged admission to await stabilisation, increasing the risk of venous thromboembolism, so blood clots, and the cost of care, and it being inconvenient, and women needing to get childcare, which may lead to early requests for an elective planned caesarean. And that's true. But what they've said is rates of planned caesarean in this cohort were significantly higher compared to all deliveries in this time period. But emergency caesarean rates were comparable. And interestingly, the unstable lie corrected spontaneously for 72 hours in 47% of women. And they were offered immediate induction of labour or discharge home. So that is, if you're patient, usually you will get 72 hours in which the baby will be corrected head down for 47% of women. That's nearly half the women. Of the women that were discharged home, 71 women went home, 18 were readmitted with an unstable lie before breaking their waters. So they suggested that really one should wait until 72 hours and then you could be fairly confident that it might be okay to let the woman go home 
they only had four cases. So 2% of women broke their waters with the baby in a non-longitudinal lie position, i.e. transverse or unstable, with no cases of cord prolapse, no perinatal deaths. There were 11 admissions to the special care baby unit, but most of those were for babies with known abnormalities. And what they said is, to their knowledge, this was the largest study on unstable, transverse or oblique lie. And they said there's a very low risk of cord prolapse, even in those in labour or with broken waters. And that if one could wait until 41 to 42 weeks, this may have increased the chances of spontaneous version, so turning to a longitudinal lie, especially in women that have had babies before and a vaginal birth. And therefore, it may be safe actually not to admit these women at all, but to monitor them as an outpatient, perhaps in a day assessment, educating women that if their waters break or their contractions start, they need to come in quickly because there is that small chance there and that there is a very small chance of core prolapse. But actually, if we could wait until 41 weeks and five days, we might have higher chances of being able to stabilise the lie of the baby and vaginal birth than if we do a caesarean having admitted the woman early. And they suggested we need more studies. So I'm interested to know from people listening what they feel, what their experience has been. I definitely feel there's been a big shift in how we care for these women over the course of my career. We're seeing more and more women admitted early and having a caesarean at 39 weeks that in the past otherwise would have sat patiently, yes, annoyingly on the antenatal ward but we wouldn't have meddled until they were well beyond 41 weeks and in many situations being patient it would just sort itself out the baby would become head down and then in most situations she could go safely home or we could do a safe induction so my zesty bit I think my zesty bit today is it's okay to question practice. It's okay to question and interrogate the green top guideline. I like putting links to good quality guidelines, the RCOG and NICE, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, in my podcasts. But it's always useful to go and examine and think about that evidence and what other evidence is out there. And It felt comforting to me that I'm not a completely out-of-date obstetrician, that actually looking at this, I could confidently discuss with a woman not being an inpatient, not having to sit on the ward, getting stressed, cooped up and separated from her existing children or partner, but to have an intelligent conversation with a woman, like so many things. And not scare the wits out of the woman 
saying, oh my goodness, it's an unstable lie. You could have a core prolapse. These terrible things could happen. But actually explain the chances are small. And yes, if you want to be in hospital, that is one option. But actually, you don't have to be. And there is another way. And let's think about what is the actual chance. If you look at the beginning of that green top guideline, it says the overall instance of core prolapse ranges from 0.1 to 0.6%. So perhaps we should stop terrifying women. Perhaps we should be a bit more honest with them. And then we could have a sensible discussion about how do we help them deal with this situation in which the baby is unstable. So my zesty bit is don't just bond or admit someone at 37 weeks, make them sit there and make them frightened. Have an actual conversation about what the actual chances are of problems and complications and give them options about how they might like to manage that with you, whether that's inpatient, outpatient, caesarean, induction or waiting. And if you're a pregnant woman listening to this, my zesty bit is don't be afraid. If we're talking to you about core prolapse in a dramatic and scary fashion, perhaps ask what the basis is for that. What's the rationale? Yes, be aware it might be possibly a problem and it may be something that your team need to deal with with you. But if you can be patient and your baby's unstable, most of the time it will settle down. Let it be. Wait and see. I very much hope you found this episode of the OBSPOD interesting. If you have, it'd be fantastic if you could subscribe, rate and review on whatever platform you find your podcasts, as well as recommending the OBS pod to anyone you think might find it interesting. There's also tons of episodes to explore in my back catalogue, from clinical topics, my career and journey as an obstetrician, and life in the NHS more generally. I'd like to assure women I care for that I take confidentiality very seriously and take great care not to use any patient-identifiable information unless I have expressly asked the permission of the person involved on that rare occasion when it's been absolutely necessary. If you found this episode interesting and want to explore the subject a little more deeply, don't forget to take a look at the programme notes where I've attached some links. If you want to get in touch to suggest topics for future episodes, you can find me at The Obs Pod on Twitter and Instagram and you can email me theobspod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.